everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Usumimi, and for your listening enjoyment, this is another short review episode. If you are just tuning in for the first time ever and have never heard one of my review episodes, that's just my fancy schmancy name for a podcast episode where I revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in a long time, jot down some notes on what I might remember about it, and then I rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did the last time I saw it. Not too complicated, right? And no worries, if this kind of episode isn't your thing, I'll be returning with a longer episode next time with a guest with a more fleshed out topic and longer runtime for all of you to listen to. Not too long ago, Funimation announced that they would be re-releasing all of the original Record of Lados War anime, which includes the first OAV and TV series. This was an awesome announcement, as Media Blasters had announced they would re-release the series, but then abruptly cancelled it back in 2012, and fans have been lamenting it ever since, myself included, of course. So, this was very exciting news indeed, which got me thinking about all things Lados related, which led me to thinking about this month's episode about an anime that's tied to Lados War, and that is The Legend of Cristania, the motion picture. Back in the day, I remember renting this one on VHS after hearing that it had to do with Lotus War. A spiritual successor, I believe, was what I heard it referred to as. And as someone who really enjoyed the original Lotus War OAV, I wondered how it would compare to the Lotus Legend of Heroic Night TV series, which I'd had a love-hate relationship with, as many fans probably did or still do. I figured, to be safe, I should probably rent it beforehand to see how I liked it before I decided if I wanted to spend the money on the tape or not. And boy, was I glad I did. While I don't remember a lot of specifics about it, I remember feeling very disappointed in this movie. The major reason not even being really related to the story itself, but the fact that the box artwork and the actual animation were wildly different. That sort of bait and switch is always very frustrating, and I felt incredibly thankful that I had only spent the money on a rental and not on a copy of the film itself. I can't even remember much about the story or why I was so disappointed in it. Either the story was just so lackluster it didn't stick with me, or the frustration at the difference in animation style was so strong that it was the only thing I'd end up remembering about this movie in the end. What I do recall seems to be the very bare minimum. It's a fantasy story. There's two characters in it that were also in Record of Lotus War, and other than that, it didn't have much to do with Lados story-wise. Which wasn't as disappointing to me as I knew it wasn't going to be a true sequel. Though, I do remember feeling a little sad that it wasn't just a little more tied to the original. 
my memories of this movie are more hazy than usual because I watched the movie once, felt incredibly disheartened, and promptly returned it to the video store the next day without re-watching it at least one more time, which I usually tried to do back in the day of VHS and renting anime just so I could get the most out of it for my money. This is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to revisit this movie, believe it or not. The more I thought about it, the more I was determined to watch it again. I wanted to give it one more chance. Even though I ended up watching a wide variety of anime when I was younger, there were often things I watched back then that I didn't really care for at first, but like a lot more now. So I was curious to see if maybe I hadn't really given it a chance and treated it unfairly. And with Lotus War fresh in my mind, I figured, what better time to revisit it, right? I'm totally ready to watch some 90s fantasy anime. So let's check out Legend of Cristania, the motion picture, in this month's rewatch. My first thought after finishing this movie, to be perfectly honest, I'm almost more frustrated than I was the first time I watched it, which was something that I really wasn't expecting. I thought that once I rewatched Cristania, I'd either have a much firmer conviction of disliking it, or I'd realize I'd been too hard on it originally. But I left this movie feeling more conflicted than anything else. Ugh, <sighs> where to begin? So, the story starts out with two characters you might know from Lotus War if you've seen it before, Ashram and Pyrotes. Without spoiling the original Lotus War for you if you haven't seen it yet, this indicates that this movie deviates from one of the Lotus storylines a little bit and shows Ashram and Pyrotes on a boat with Ashram's people, who have left Lotus in search of a new land where they and Lord Ashram's people can live peacefully. Things aren't going smoothly, however, and it seems like their ships of people are at risk of starvation if they can't find land soon. Ashram basically prays for a miracle, and what he gets instead is a literal deal with the devil, where they miraculously find a new land called 
surprise, Cristania, and it's apparent that Ashram basically sold his soul to the devil to save his people to do it. Sounds like a great start to an interesting story about how Puritess will go on to save the lord she's so devoted to, right? Well, you'd think that would be the natural progression of the story, but no. Sorry. Instead, we cut to a completely new land with a whole bunch of new characters. Some that are vaguely similar to a few of the old Lados characters, the most obvious one being the main character, Raiden, looking a whole lot like Parn 2.0. Raiden is a young prince whose father's insistence on teaching him valuable skills in their tiny farming kingdom has basically made him into a jack-of-all-trades type that's seemingly good at anything he tries. His best friend and seemingly royal caretaker is a mage, and rounding out this group of friends that could double as his D&D campaign are a highly skilled swordsman and a tiny mage girl. But their tiny peaceful kingdom is overthrown by unseen forces, and with his family murdered, Raiden and the gang retreat, trying to find a safe haven to escape to. They end up at the enormous wall that surrounds their land that was said to be built hundreds of years ago. Unknown to Raiden, dark forces open the wall and lead him and his companions to what happens to be the land of Cristania, the land where gods are supposed to reside. The same evil that consumed Ashram feels the darkness growing in Raiden's heart at the loss of his family, and it tries to convince Raiden to listen to those angry feelings and join forces with him. With the help of more comrades, their group meets along the way, Raiden and the gang do their best to resist and try to find their way back out of Cristania. Now, on paper, this sounds like it has all the makings of a good to great fantasy story, right? There's a lot of potential here, to be sure, but sadly, any sort of ambition the movie might have had falls flat and is executed very poorly. While I usually try to keep parts of my review episodes a little vague so as to not ruin the entire viewing experience if you want to watch it, I have to talk about the ending to really drive home my main issues with it. So if you want to stay surprised, skip a little bit ahead. If not, stick around, okay? So, the ending of the movie reveals what we as the viewers already know about the main bad guy, Barbus, who is really a possessed Lord Ashram. The dark elf Sheru is Puritess, who we discover has spent the last 300 years trying to find a way to save Ashram. The climax of the movie ends with Raiden and Sheru confronting the possessed Ashram and attempting to exorcise the evil in him with an ancient artifact. We see the soul of Ashram attempt to take back control of his body, but he can't seem to overtake the evil will of Barbus, and begs Puritus to kill his body so that he will finally be free. If you know anything about the backstory of Ashram and Puritus, this scene is a bit emotional, as Puritus has no choice but to use Ashram's own sword to kill him and finally end his suffering. But the emotion seems so forced and kind of out of nowhere, as we've spent more than 80% of the story focused on Raiden and his journey, not to mention the other characters that they met throughout the story. This is my main problem with the film's plot. 
If the movie had been about Pyrrhus and her quest to find a way to free her love, Lord Ashram, and she'd grouped up with Raiden and his friends along the way, the climax would have had way more emotional weight to it, especially if you'd never seen Lotus War and knew nothing of her and Ashram beforehand. Instead, we got to barely know a bunch of new characters, and they weren't even very well developed over the course of the film. We didn't even really get much development out of our supposed main character, Raiden, other than superficial stuff like he was a prince and he was basically good at everything. By the end of the movie, I had trouble remembering just all of the characters' names, which is probably not a good sign. When Barbus asks Raiden to kill for him in exchange for the power to avenge his family, Raiden proudly announces that he's learned from his friends that all lives are precious, but it's hard to really believe that completely, considering he's only known some of these characters for maybe a few days at most, since it's hard to really gauge how much time has actually passed in the story. In more capable hands, and rewritten to center more around Puritess and Ashram rather than this whole new crew of characters, this could have been a much more enjoyable movie. I would have loved to hear how Puritus spent some of those 300 years. We could have seen how Ashram's people have flourished, how she managed to get the ancient artifact that was going to help save her Lord Ashram, and why she decided to start going by the name Sheru instead of Puritus, since this was never really explained at all and might be pretty confusing to some viewers when Ashram suddenly starts calling her Puritus. That sort of build-up would have made the climax of this story much more impactful and emotional to every viewer, and not just those who know about the history between them. Instead, we get a movie about a somewhat boring prince and his friends who just happen to stumble into their path while all of this is happening, which is both disappointing and very frustrating, at least to me. But even if the movie was better written, even that might not have saved it completely. The direction of the movie was pretty lackluster at times, with sword fights being choreographed in rather boring ways, magic spells cast in completely non-dazzling displays, and violence being so nonchalantly thrown in that it tends to come off as something put in there for shock value rather than something to really add to the visuals. There's also two instances of violent animal deaths that seem to be kind of in there just to get a reaction from Raiden, which I wanted to point out to anyone who might be sensitive to seeing that kind of thing because I hadn't remembered them at all and they kind of surprised me both times. And what about the animation quality, which was what I remembered having the biggest problems with in the past? Well... I was a little more forgiving this time around, but I'd still say that it wasn't really for me, ultimately. The character designs that were done by Katsumi Matsuda were heavily simplified for this movie, so much so that they honestly bear little resemblance to all the beautiful promotional material that was made for it. Seriously, if you find the art books and the original laser discs for this movie and the OAV that followed it, the artwork looks so much more beautiful than what the movie turned out to be. 
The animation style is incredibly simplified variations of it, with a look that reminded me a bit of Yasuomi Umetsu's style, though he didn't work on it. Maybe since this was made in 1995 and it's a fantasy title, they wanted to go for a look that was new and fresh? At times, it almost reminded me of a western animated thing as all the characters had very simple and almost realistically stylized features that weren't as detailed or expressive as what you'd get in, say, the original Lotus War OAV. Something that also bothered me a little bit was that Sheru, or Pyrotus, whichever name she's going by at the moment, is supposed to be a dark elf, but in almost every other scene, they painted her skin tone in very pale colors for some reason. At first, I thought that it must be some kind of lighting palette, but even when it was supposed to be in the middle of the night, sometimes they'd cut to her and she looked as white as a sheet for some reason. It seemed like either someone wasn't very good at lighting color theory, or whoever was in charge of cell painting just plain forgot that she had dark skin for half of the movie? It bugged me because I knew the character from the original, so it seemed almost insulting that they couldn't get something as simple as a character's skin tone correct for even half of the movie. And even the fantasy backdrop for this film is pretty plain and bland most of the time. There are some cuts of interesting animation here and there, but they're very few and far between. In Cristania, there's several different types of tribes of people that can magically transform into various animals, such as bears and lions, and there's a few times where these transformations are very fluid and really fun to watch, but at other times, much like the rest of the film, it'll look really choppy and kind of awkward. I wondered what other things the director might have worked on because I felt that whoever had been in charge wasn't really the right choice for a fantasy movie like this. And I was surprised to find out that the director was actually Rutaro Nakamura, who was the director of things like Serial Experiments Lane and Kino's Journey, both of which are excellent anime and work much better with his slower, moodier style of directing. In a fantasy action film such as this, though, not so much. <laughs> the screenplay was written by Akinori Endo, who wrote screenplays for things like ZZ Gundam, Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory, and Battle Angel Alita, which also surprised me because those are all pretty good to great titles, but his adaptation of this story just didn't seem to work as well. Most of the music in this film was done by Michiru Oshima, who did music for Miracle Girls, Fancy Lala, and Boys Over Flowers, but is probably better known today for her music for Full Metal Alchemist, Gokusen, and Little Witch Academia. The music in this movie is probably the most consistently good thing, too. Almost too good for this movie, actually. Something that caught my eye also was that Mao Lamdo is listed under miscellaneous work. Mao Lamdo being the pen name for Manabu Ohashi, who was the director and designer of the Cloud Short from Robot Carnival. 
I wish I knew what he had specifically worked on in this movie because the only thing I could really think of that maybe he had a hand in was some of the still artwork that was used for a few short parts of the movie as well as in the ending credits. But I couldn't find any specifics on what he might have done, sadly. I watched the movie on a subtitled VHS tape, which was how I originally watched it back in the day. There were a lot of voice actors I recognized right away, including the voice of Raiden, which was Hikaru Midorikawa, who you might have heard before as Rukawa in Slam Dunk, Zelgadis in The Slayers, and Hiro Yui in Gundam Wing. He was actually really good in his role, giving the rather dull Raiden much more emotional depth than he probably deserved, to be honest. Akira Kamiya and Sakiko Tamagawa reprise their roles from the original Lotus War as Ashram and Puritus, which is a nice treat. Both of them are pretty well-known seiyu, especially Akira Kamiya, who is probably best known for his role as Kenshiro in Fist of the North Star, Ryo Saeba in City Hunter, and Mendo Shutaro in Urusei Yatsura. Sakiko Tamagawa is known for Mariko Shinobu in Dear Brother, Sakura Yamazaki in Blue Seed, and Laichi in the second Ranma One Half movie. Seiki Toshihiko, who plays Nasser, is also Moose in Ranma One Half, Duo Maxwell in Gundam Wing, and Legato in Trigun. And surprisingly, Megumi Ogata, best known as the voices of Shinji Ikari in Evangelion and Sailor Uranus in Sailor Moon, makes a few brief appearances as the winged character Jinoba. Because the cast is so big, there's a lot of characters that were voiced by fairly impressive seiyuu, but didn't really get a chance to shine like Raiden did, sadly. ADV originally released this movie on VHS, then later on DVD. Like I'd mentioned earlier, there was also an OAV series that followed this movie, apparently picking up where it left off. ADV released a DVD that compiled the movie and the OAV series into one DVD set, but since it's out of print now, that specific release seems to go for a lot on the secondhand market now for some reason. The DVD with just the movie seems to be much easier to find and much cheaper to boot. The movie seems to be out of print now in Japan as well, with no high-quality version released. Even though this was a title loosely tied to Lotus War, which has a fairly dedicated fanbase, it seems like there's not a lot of love for this movie even in Japan, and it seems mostly forgotten now. It's no surprise that no one's bothered to pick it up for a re-release. Though, with Funimation picking up Lotus War again, I wouldn't be too shocked to see someone try to put it out to try to advertise it as a proper Lotus spin-off, much like ADV had originally tried to back in the day. So, would I recommend this movie? Well, as much as I wanted to see the potential in this film, I feel like it really just has too many problems for it to be genuinely enjoyable, even if you try to separate it from its Lotus War ties. Even if you ignore the Lotus War thing, the story still makes it just a mediocre fantasy film at best. 
If you're a completionist and really love all things related to the world of Lotus War, maybe I could see you giving it a shot. But it will never live up to the original OAVs or even the less popular TV series. If you're looking for an enjoyable fantasy-based anime, you're much better off just sticking to the original classic Lodos or maybe the heroic legend of Arslan. And I guess that about wraps it up for this review episode on The Legend of Cristania, the motion picture. And in this month's special thanks segment, I want to give big thanks to all that left me tips on Kofi.com, especially to Mr. James Pickens and Rachel Nauska Togus. If you want to get a shout out on the next episode of the podcast in my special thanks segment to be just as cool as them, all you have to do is go to my Kofi page and leave a tip of two or more coffees. Just check out the show notes for the link to my Kofi page. You can see all the links and info for this episode on the blog at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as the show's Tumblr at animenostalgia.tumblr.com. You can find this episode and previous episodes on both of those sites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can subscribe or review the show if you haven't already. If you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say hi, you can always leave a comment on the blog or email me directly at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. I always enjoy reading them. As always, I've been your host, Usumimi, and I'll see you next time. Listeners, I just realized that this month marks the podcast's fourth birthday. Happy birthday, my podcast! And many thanks to all of you listeners, new and old, who support it and me. Here's to many more podcast birthdays in the future, hopefully, and I hope to continue celebrating them with you. Okay, bye for real now. See you next month. <laughs>